It is June 7th, 2018, and one week from now, the 2018 World Cup will kick off with one of the most amazing matches the world might ever see, Russia versus Saudi Arabia. This is Corner Kick, and we welcome you to our World Cup preview episode. That's crazy. It just feels like just yesterday that we were uh, viewing the sun-kissed shores of Rio de Janeiro, and now we're in the frigid Moscow cold. But we're going to break this down group by group, starting with Group A, which does have that first match against Russia and pitting Russia against Saudi Arabia. But the Group A looks like this. Uh, Egypt, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the man to my right's favorite team, Uruguay. Nathan Strauss, give us the breakdown of this group. So first of all, I think it's pretty clear that this group was constructed to uh, really just portray the host nation in the best possible light. It's it's clearly the weakest group We're starting in the right entire... with the corruption. I mean, I mean no. it's, the thing is, it's, it, this is clearly the weakest group in the entire tournament. And coefficient-wise, it's far, it's hands down the, the worst group. Yeah, 538 found that it was one of the weakest groups of all time, following up Russia's last group in the 2014 or 2010 World Cup. Yeah, which Cup. also, in which they finished fourth place in their group with South Korea, which yeah. was a really unimpressive group as well. And we know that, we know that FIFA's super corrupt. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago that Platini admitted that they rigged the bracket in the 1998 World Cup yeah, so that France would face Brazil. So it's not so far-fetched. And we know FIFA is an organization to say that Russia got a, a good draw. Yes. Air quotes. Um, I do think, though, that Uruguay have to be considered the favorites to make it out of this group, especially with Mo Salah being rumored to uh, to not come back from injury until the second game of the group stage, after which point Uruguay will already have played Egypt, who are, mm -hmm. I would say, the second best team in this group. Yeah, did you know Sergio Ramos is actually a brand ambassador for Gazprom? Is he really? Is he really? No. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have surprised me. But you can't be touting this fake news. <laughs> this is an important podcast. I mean, I would so I would say Uruguay should finish this group pretty uh, pretty scot free. They should be able to take nine points, maybe seven points if they slip to draw against Russia or Egypt. And then I think it's going to be hard to. I I don't really see Saudi Arabia doing much. Um, I could see Russia getting some suspect refereeing and maybe sneaking into that second spot. Um, but I really do think that when Salah comes back, it'll energize its Egypt squad, which has not looked terribly threatening um, in their pre-World Cup friendly. It so is far. such a shame that, like, in all the marketing for this World Cup, it has been marketed as, like, a World Cup with Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo, and then the fourth name was Mohamed Salah, and we're not going to get him at 100% for the first three games of this World Cup. But if Egypt... It is what it is. So I'd say Group A, we can say Uruguay will most likely go through followed by either Egypt or Russia. And a quick note on Uruguay. I would say that Uruguay have one of the most lethal strike forces in this entire World Cup. They tend to play a pretty strict 4-4-2, but the strike force of Cavani and Suarez is probably two of the top, I would ten say strikers. two of the top ten strikers, yeah. maybe two yeah. of the top seven strikers in the world. The problem um, is, are they going to be leggy at this point of the season? I don't think so. I think Cavani's pretty well rested. I think Suarez is doing fine. And they have young bodies behind them in Arisqueta and Lucas, Lucas Herrera, who I think could be poised for a breakout series. Yeah. Um, but anyways, on to Group B, featuring Iran, Morocco, Portugal, and Spain. 
Caleb, as the resident Spain fan, what are your takes on this interesting group? So Spain clearly have the most quality of any team. That's pretty clear. Whether they can put the ball in the net is an important question to ask, although Isco has looked good in some of the pre-game or pre-World Cup friendlies. Will Diego Costa be able to lead the line? Will they go with more Aspas or even Rodrigo? I don't know. I think Spain will probably tiptoe through with a 2-0 win and a few 1-0 wins, strong on defense, solid on offense, to claim the group win. I think when you look at Spain, you are looking at arguably the strongest, most deep squad in this tournament, uh, front to back, and the fact that they can pull... Them in Germany can pull from their bench almost like all France, 12 players in the ring. Too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Their squad are just immensely, immensely deep. Um, and that is not something that you could say about the three yeah. team, other teams that occupy this group. Yep. Morocco, you would consider the dark horse of this group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think even Iran. Iran were really impressive in the they last They have that Cup. guy. Ali Reza Jahan Bakash. Yeah, who uh, plays tore it up in yeah, the he's Eredivisie. He's scorer yeah. with 19 goals. Although, as we know, with the Eredivisie, there's often this kind of like mirage of quality mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily <laughs> pan out. Um, yeah, Portugal, obviously, any team that has Cristiano Ronaldo is a chance. And their team is good. Their team is very good. It's, it's not Spain good. I think a key it, aspect of this group is that Portugal versus Spain is the second match of the entire World Cup. Yeah. It is... Saturday the 16th or something like that. Yep. So that will be a really early. And that'll set the tone for the group. It will. Yeah. It really will. And I also think that, you know, if that match doesn't go Portugal's way, um, we know they have a lot of egos on that team. I'm not going to call anyone out in particular. And if they if Portugal go on to drop a point or two against Morocco and Iran, one of those two teams could easily sneak in. And Iran do have a history of overperforming at the World Cup. Last, it's like a 90th minute Golazo from Messi to to get them by in the third game of the group stage in yep. in 2014, and Morocco have players with European pedigree and um, some amount of quality. So I think it's gonna. This is probably the most competitive group. Um, them in Group G, uh, Group D rather. Shall we move on to Group C? Sure. Ooh, my a little team more, is a little more straightforward. Australia, Denmark, France, <coughs> and Peru. Now, do France? Can you consider France to be one of the favorites for this tournament? I think so, although they're very young. They are um, very young. And so I think even if they don't do that well, I think they will be aiming for quarterfinals at a minimum. Yeah. It'll be like a good learning experience for a lot of the young players that haven't played in a major tournament yet, Mbappe, Dembélé, <clears throat> etc. And so even if they don't necessarily go all the way in this tournament, they'll be very well set up for the next two or even three World Cups after this. My question is, since Didier Deschamps does like to play favorites, yeah, especially the indicator of that being that Benjamin Mendy, having not played a full 90 minutes this season, is yeah. going to the World Cup, yeah. um, is a player like Olivier Giroud good enough to carry them to a World Cup trophy at striker position? The thing is, though, Giroud hasn't been starting for them in these in these friendlies and they've yeah. been going with a much more fluid attacking trident yeah and it's looked really good for the most part and they've been banging in the goals um they've gotten goals from all sorts of players umtiti has been scoring um mm-hmm. they've looked dominant from set pieces they can score from open play yeah <clears throat> uh, i think in a way this france team is very similar to the spain team from euro 08 um which featured a lot of up-and-coming established players but who had yet to really make a breakthrough um, at yeah. the global, on the international stage. Yeah. And obviously we know what happened with that Spain team that ended up being, in my mind, one of the best uh, 
national teams ever over the course of four to six years. So I think France do have a shot. I don't really see them being able to win this tournament. I don't really see them being able to win a semifinal. Um, I just don't think they have the youth. I don't think they have the grit necessarily. I mean, I don't think they have the experience or the grit. Um, but I do think they can score. And I think if they can um, put a good run together against what's a fairly easy yeah. group stage. <clears throat> it is uh, easy. I think the only, the biggest threat here is Denmark. Australia are a plucky side when like, it comes to World Cups. I but mean, they, are, they, they called up Tim Cahill who was like 38. 38 exactly. Playing in the championship. Like their, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think back to sort of the Giroud point, um, he's a player that's done really well as a super sub for Arsenal in the past, so he'll be great changing it up from the bench potentially. And also, he's one of these players who actually improves his game for the national team, which is unusual. True. Most players have a much worse strike rate for national teams than for club teams, and yet he's now France's like fourth, fourth. top scorer, tied with Zidane. Yeah. Um, he reminds me in a way kind of of like Miroslav Klose, who honestly did not have the most impressive club career, sure. but was like a legendary international striker. And so I think Giroud can do a great job for France. And then I think for in terms of that second spot in the group, Denmark are probably the favorites. Um, Peru got a lucky break in that a Swiss court overturned their captain's six-month ban for cocaine. But the cocaine was inadvertent. <laughs> It was like, I forget how he got it, but For essentially... Tea. He was drinking tea. Oh, yeah, he, he was, was drinking a coca, 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 coca leaf, leaf, you know. Or so he says. Um, and I, what is interesting, though, Peru are at top 10 side, according they are. to the They're number rankings. six. They're number six. So just keep that in mind, even though I think that's very odd. On to Group D, which is one of the... Probably the toughest group. I would say so. I think this group... It's the most has intriguing group. the ripest narrative. Yeah. So we have... the groups. We have Argentina... Croatia, Iceland, and Nigeria. And each of these teams has something to offer. Obviously, Argentina are one of the favorites for this tournament, probably. Maybe, like, towards the end of the favorites. But, like, any team that has Messi and just their strike force in general is incredible. So let me, let me s- spill some narrative tea yeah. quickly for a second here. Iceland, after their heroics at the 2016 Euros... Mm-hmm. How far did they get? They went to the quarterfinals and got tonked No, they went to the semifinals. No, quarterfinals. Semifinals. They lost nope. to France in the semifinals. They did not. Who lost to France in the semifinals? Germany. You are correct. I stand corrected. Um, Fact check, people. Iceland captured the heart of the neutral footballing world. And they're perhaps, I think, the smallest population. Yeah, the country. 300,000 yeah. people. Yeah, coming to this World Cup. And they are going to have to play as hard as a team as they have ever played ever to go up against the top player in the world. Yeah. Are they going to be able to do that, Nathan Strauss? They're not going to be able to do that, uh, in my opinion. I think one of the draws of this group is that every single match is intriguing, and I don't think you can say that about any other group. Um, I think Iceland are resolute. They play a very, very tight 4-4-2. They don't really score that many goals. Today, they shipped two goals in the second half um, to Ghana and their last friendly and I don't think there's and, any... And Ghana's last friendly. Uh, and sp- speaking of Ghana, they no longer have a, a, <laughs> yeah. a soccer association after a, um, a report found rampant corruption. And so essentially, Iceland lost to a nation that doesn't have a formal soccer system anymore. Oh, they anymore. tied. They tied. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Whatever. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting tournament because I think every other, every other side in Group D is of significantly better quality than they've faced... Um, I could see them sneaking a win over Croatia or Nigeria and maybe getting a point somewhere else, but I honestly see them finishing bottom of this group. 
just because Nigeria have this swagger about them. They have they have those kits. They have the most amazing kits I've ever seen they in my entire life. They perhaps the best kit at this World yep. Cup. I mean, that don't is, yeah. sleep on Croatia though, because when you look at Croatia, they have players like Perisic, uh, Modric, Mandzukic, all of which have are very experienced not only on Lovren. the club. Dan Lovren made it to a Champions League final this season. Not only have experience... Veteran Korluka. Not only have experience in the European... Ante in top European leagues. Dario, sure enough. But have... Retired. Retired, oh, okay. yeah. But do have top pedigree as international players. So I wouldn't sleep on them either. I do have Croatia going through. And their midfields. Their midfield is, fa- is fantastic. Dank. Their it midfield is, uh, is... Modric, obviously Real Madrid. Rakitic, Barcelona. Kovacic, Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Brozovic, Inter Milan. And then Perisic on the wings. Inter. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they have a very quality talents. center of the park. Um, and they're kind of just like a better Serbia in a lot of ways. <laughs> Speaking of Serbia, Group E. Boy, Brazil are going to walk through this one. Yeah. It's Brazil, CONCACAFs, Costa Rica. Uh, nobody's Serbia in the Lone Ranger, Switzerland. It's just a very underwhelming group. I think you can tell that by our moment of can silence we all, there. Can we all say who's going to win this group on three? One, two, three. Costa, Costa Rica. Rica. <laughs> Dude, any team that has Keeler Navas. Okay, he has yeah. won three Champions Leagues in a row. And he bested Carius between the sticks. He also... <laughs> the last Champions League final. That's low-hanging. That's such low-hanging. He also though. lost today to England. Costa Rica did drop a friendly today against the England side that was heavily rotated. And Costa Rica were not, so... Um, I do. I I have Serbia going through. I have Switzerland going through. Switzerland, you think? Yeah, Switzerland have quality. They do. Um, they also have a very cohesive squad, which is nice. They um, do drop their play in uh, big tournaments, though. Like in the last World Cup, they lost five two. Yeah, their their best France, result though. from the yeah. past two World Cups was beating Spain in the first game of the twenty ten World, World Cup. Cup, and then yeah. Although, like their squad is decent enough, I don't think they're. As clutch of a team. Like I mean, I, I, I think it's between Serbia and Switzerland. Serbia obviously have some big name players. A la hey, you can't you can't totally overlook Costa Rica. They just narrowly missed going to the semifinals in the twenty fourteen World Cup. It took penalties. It took Louis Van Hall substituting his keeper before true, penalties. They put on, I forgot they put on true. Tim, Tim Krul. Um, it that I don't know. Don't sleep on Costa Rica. Obviously, they have the least amount of name players. Um, but otherwise, Brazil will walk through second place. I think Jordan Shakiri has a lot to play for for Switzerland now that he's he without a club, or he should be leaving Stoke after a miserable Premier League season. But Group E, not the most interesting. How far could Brazil go, real quick? Final. Final? final. I say final. I say final as well. Yep. Yeah. If um, they can avoid injury. Even then. And, I mean, their team is absurdly deep. If they lose Neymar like they did last time, I don't see them making it to a final because it's so really? demoralizing. Really, I think I they think... can still do it. I don't know. Neymar that... came off the bench into creation of school in that. He scored it. Although you're right, last goal. time he missed a game in the World Cup, they, they lost seven one. So, nope. you know, we'll yeah. see. Group F, a very Germany. interesting geopolitical group. For whatever reason, Germany and Mexico keep getting paired off in these like really crucial games, like in the um, Confed Cup final last year. Yep. So, you know what F? You know what word also starts with F or acronym? FIFA. FIFA. You know what word starts with the letter C? Corruption. Okay. <laughs> so Group F is Germany, CONCACAFs in Mexico, South Korea. Where did you get the C from? I just added it. 
<laughs> and uh, the team that knocked Italy out of World Cup qualifying, Sweden. Without Ibra. With he's not in the Ibra, squad anyway. Not in the so squad. It doesn't matter. No, no but I, he, they're still without Ibra. Yeah, That's still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't saying that they had Ibra ever. I'm just saying that they're. Well, I mean, they did have Ibra at some point. Okay, they. It's, it's a Sweden team in the World <laughs> Cup without Ibrahimovic. It'll be Germany going through pretty easily. Although they have looked bad. They lost recently. Uh, uh, yeah, they lost to Austria. Historically, a record. Yeah, it's their Austria. first loss in like 40 years against their... 44 years or something like that against against Austria. It's true. Yep. Since it was West Germany. Although militarily, I think they... It's true. Germany, the last time Germany lost to Austria, there was West Germany. And East Germany. Uh, Don't sleep. Don't sleep on East <laughs> Germany. <laughs> so, uh, do we have Germany and Mexico going through here? Yeah, Mexico have looked really, really good. I actually think this is one of the most promising Mexico teams that we've seen in World Cup in a long time. They have a really, really talented attack force. I think Herving Lozano has the potential to be another breakout player in this yeah, tournament. I agree. Um, uh, Diego, what's his name? Shoot, Reyes. Oh yeah, he's a center back. Um, correct. Yeah, for yeah. Por- he plays at Porto. As another he's, young player, he's totally Portuguese. <laughs> Show us the birth certificate. <laughs> Diego Reyes, oh, Mexican shit. defender who Sorry. plays for Porto. Porto. Oh yeah, he's um, twenty five, but still, no. I think Herving Lozano really is going to be a breakout player. He had an insane season. In he the did have an insane season, and I think he's. I worry though he could have the Depay effect. True, like oh. we saw in twenty fourteen. Now I think we still see Germany and Mexico going through. Um, I this Mexico squad is very promising. Herving Lozano had a. Very, very impressive campaign in the Eredivisie, and I think he's actually quality, um, unlike... Yeah. like I, I think PSV signing him in the first place was a major coup. Yeah. Um, and they do have Diego Reyes, who's been a very solid European center back, played at Porto this year. He's still young-ish. And I just don't see South Korea as having any chance of going through, and I don't think Sweden have the attacking quality. I think, And I think yeah. Mexico also have internationally experienced players like Chicharito and Leun and Marquez, who's Marquez playing in his 30, fifth World Cup. He's is 30. he going? Yes. yes. Oh my god. How old is that guy 39. now? 39. Yeah. Good yeah. He still scores, too. That's crazy. Yeah. So. Okay. So we have Germany and Mexico going out of Mexico, group, group back. Group G. Group G. This is super interesting. If not for... You know, it's like the most boring nations in the world going up against each other. And no, no, it's really just a battle for who's one and who's two. Um, I don't know. Is the it... group is, wait, let's just set up the group first. So it's Belgium under Roberto Martinez, the tactically inept manager. Oh, man. I, I England, Belgium. Panama, England. who snuck through the CONCACAF And the team qualifying. that you all have forgotten about that was at this World Cup, but you shouldn't. Yep. The African nation of Tunisia. Don't sleep on Ayman Abdenor. Don't okay. sleep on Wabi Khazri. I actually oh, Wabi Khazri. and commentators are gonna have a lot of fun saying yeah. the name Wabi Khazri. I actually watched. I had the privilege of watching a Tunisia Portugal friendly. The privilege, the um, distinct hey, honor. Hey, hey, now. I'm being serious. Okay. I, I was being serious too. But Tunisia are not a bad side. I don't think anyone can challenge England or Belgium. I think England have actually looked, on paper, on form alone rather, to be the best side rolling up to this World Cup. They haven't allowed a goal. They didn't allow a single goal in World Cup qualifying. Because their World Cup qualifying group is always like Liechtenstein and like Estonia. Okay, they, no, they had a soft World Cup qualifying Ethiopia. group, but they haven't allowed a goal. In the, <laughs> the point being, I don't think I think the Belgium England game is going to be the most crucial one of the tie. I don't I, I, of the group. I don't 
I don't think there's going to be too too much drama involved well, England, unless England drop points against Panama. Yeah, which could definitely happen. It totally could happen. England always England always find a way to to mm-hmm. shoot themselves think, in the foot. I think the benefit for this England team that they've had that they have this time around versus in 2014, mm-hmm. they have the benefit of young players with speed. They don't necessarily have the best playmakers in the world. Yeah. They're bringing players like Loftus Cheek, mm-hmm. Eric Dyer, mm-hmm. Jordan Henderson. They do, the Dele, they do have Dele Ali. I don't. I don't think you can underestimate the importance of the uncertainty they have at goalkeeper. Leaving Joe Hart at home was a big decision. And so now it'll probably be Jack Butland. I think but it's going to be... Do think it's going to be Jack Butland? I, I think it should be Jack Butland because he has the most experience at the international level, even if Nick Pope played the best this I was about season. to say, because I think Nick Pope is the best but on form. But my point keeper. is simply, the last time England kind of had a shaky keeper at the World Cup, I'm thinking 2010, you remember the infamous Rob, Rob Green, Green incident... <laughs> Where oh, the yes. U.S. scored the goal. Who shot it? Was it Dempsey? Dempsey. Dempsey, and it just squirmed through his arms. And so I think this is the that's the kind of moment that will sink England's World Cup that's campaign. It's just a stupid goalkeeping error because of uncertainty at the position. In terms of Belgium, I think Roberto Martinez created a problem where there wasn't one by leaving Nangolan at home, even though he's clearly one of their best all-around midfielders. I see, he's, he is, a, he's a he world-class is. midfielder who consistently shows up in European tournaments. Yeah, and the result is that he plays this weird 3-4-3 where he asks a lot of Kevin De Bruyne as a straight-up box-to-box midfielder in a really unbalanced system rather than making the hard choice to just bench Dries Mertens. Which is the, I think this speaks to one of the bigger issues that I think is rearing its ugly head at this World Cup more than it has previously, is that manager favoritism oh my is God. really prevalent yeah. at this when it comes to the squad selection. Like, yep. uh, if you look at Lopetegui leaving Sergio Roberto at home and yep. taking Odriozola, if you look at like Deschamps leaving, Marshall isn't going, is he? No, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, although I think I think. Uh, the Laporte. most egregious, Laporte. I think the most egregious one actually, and this might sound weird, is Denmark choosing to leave Daniel Voss. Oh, yeah. That's wacky. Daniel Voss, a player who can quite literally play every single position except for keeper. Yeah. Who is, I would say, the third best player on that team, aside from Ericsson and... um, Sorry, the biggest one is Sané. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Leroy Leroy Sané. Young player of the year in the Premier League. Yeah, I would also throw in Valbuena... um, because it wouldn't be a World Cup without some like internal dissent with the French national team. <laughs> they all go on and strike. So I think every other year, like, they do every other tournament. Like, they went on strike. So yeah. Actually, this this would be a good quiz show. Like, who's gonna get a four year ban from the French national <laughs> team? Is it who's behind door number one? Is that Jan Mavilla? <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, but back to the issue at hand. Dude, I know exactly who's getting banned from this French team. Oh. Mendy. No, 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 dude. Who's gonna be Gibril Sidibe? Oh, Sidibe. No, no, he's got. He's not. No character. That's the thing with his French team is that you watch videos no, dude, of them. Dude, they all get along Heike, so well. Heike Pogba. Oh, Pogba totally could. could be no, because he has the ego. He could totally implode. Dude, it's I'm, very. He could. He could have a really bad game and then get criticized. And then the thing, and you just walk off. Is this? Get a you can only shave so much hair. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. This French team. Sorry to go back to France. But this French team is all like within the same age group. They all get along so well. If it's you like true. watch videos of them training, the same with England. Like Almost Raheem, too well. The big exactly. The, the big <laughs> the big news coming out of the England camp is Raheem Sterling got a tattoo of an assault rifle on his leg. Hey, Piers and that Morgan is, was angry. That <laughs> that is purely because there is no real negative, like Nathan was saying, to speak of when it comes to the form of this England team. Yep. But Vanquish. I agree with Nathan in that England 
are one of the better sides coming into this World Cup, and mm. I think they they could sneaky win this group. The oh yeah, the, I think though I think they will win this. Group I think so too because I think Belgium just capitulate. Yeah, the interesting thing they, is that although, they go to be through. fair, England also yeah. have somewhat of a reputation for yeah. capitulation. England England Belgium is the last game of the group. Yeah, uh, which should be I think is crucial. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we move on to Group H. Yes. Group H, kind of the, the this perennial is dark the, horse group. This is the this sickest is one of these... group. This group is so fun. No, there's good. There's I'm one gonna of these... watch every game of this group. No, no, but this... there's one of these groups at every World Cup. Like last World Cup, yeah. there was the Japan Greece Colombia group, and, and now like it's the, the same... Japan Colombia Poland Senegal. Dude, do not sleep on Senegal. Senegal have Premier League proven players such as Mane, such as Ghana. Interesting. Chiku. Chiku. Koyate. Koyate. For West Ham. Uh, they have uh, Kalidou Koulibaly. Who is who's a world-class center back, almost. Yep. Yeah. They have uh, Mame Biram Diouf. For Stoke. He's a Premier League proven No, player, no, but what's interesting about him is he is a striker who's actually pretty good in the Bundesliga for a while, but he now has played so many positions for Stoke that he's like a great sub. Like, you can put him on as a right back if you really need. They have Kaita Balde. From uh, Ooh, Monaco, yeah, former Barcelona youth player who, while he didn't have the greatest season at uh, at in his first debut season as a Monaco player, a Monaco player, he is a fantastic player for a World Cup stage. Yep, lightning quick. Yep, incredibly skillful, scores and, goals. Yep, Colombia are worse this time around than they were at the last World Cup. Falcao is definitely further over the hill. Um, Teofilio Gutierrez. Who... Falcao probably has half a knee left. Well, Falcao. His season was weird. He scored like 12 goals off of his first 13 shots in Ligue 1, and then he only scored five more goals the rest of the season. Kind of a law of averages working there, sort of the opposite of the Ronaldo season yeah, in although a lot of ways. I would, I, I would argue that Colombia's defense is much better than they, than they were last, def- last I agree. World Cup with the emergence of Davinson Sanchez as a European proven player. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, David Ospina is very solid in goal. Yeri Mina. Um, Yerimina, who Yerimina is. I'm not sure how good he is, but he like does play for Barcelona. So That's true. At least like, and I mean, and and Luis Muriel. This is a team with with quality, and obviously, oh no, James think, Rodriguez, who yeah. was the player of the tournament in my mind, from will be the player of Colombia this time around. Yeah, sure. and he's a world. He's a world class player, and I think yeah. he'll get the chance to link up with Falcao, which is something they didn't have the opportunity to do in the last tournament. Sure. Which I think will make a difference. And yeah. Juan Juan Cuadrado, always a wild card. Uh, yeah. He's aging. I didn't realize he was thirty. For some reason, he's twenty four in my mind. I think what's interesting is that out of all the teams in this World Cup, the continuity thirty on the field, twenty four in my heart. The there's a lot of continuity from the twenty fourteen World Cup squad. Yeah, with a lot this of team. yeah, a lot of and then yeah, and the Poland team, another team with a lot of itches in this team and it's. It's true. Jeez. I mean, I mean, this Poland team has sneaky quality as well. I mean, obviously you have Lewandowski, who in my mind is a top three striker in the world. I am so glad that Robert Lewandowski is getting is getting a World Cup, because like talk about like oh, players yeah. who really deserve to be going to the World Cup. Lewandowski like, I feel bad for, dominated the Bundesliga for the past yeah, four years. That he wasn't the last one, and I feel bad that Gareth Bale isn't at this World Cup because I think there are just certain players who do deserve to play, showcase yeah. their skill like in the international, on the biggest stage in world football. I do think, I think Poland is one of those teams that can sneak through in, um, in like the second spot in this group and then take a nil-nil game to penalties. Poland are solid. Um, 
Japan, I don't think anyone really rates them Japan too highly. They were more exciting a few years ago when Kaga was better flow. He had a kind of a limping season. Japan, they have the oldest team at the tournament, Japan I do have an incredible fan base, though, that will follow them to mm-hmm. the death. And I think that matters, mm-hmm. especially if they can fill a stadium with Japanese, loud, yeah. rowdy Japanese fans. Yeah. So after Colombia, who do you think makes it through in this group? Japan, Senegal, Senegal or Poland? Poland. Senegal. I'm gonna go I think Senegal might win the group. I, I'm that's my like that's a real hot take. That's my that's Nathan Strauss hot take for take. this day for today. I, I think I, I have to go with group. I have to go with Poland just because I think You think Poland? They, yes, I think they can def- So the most important thing to remember about these international matches is that teams begin to prioritize 1 point over 3, mm. which is one of the criticisms that FIFA has gotten 1 point these. over 3 leads to victory. But it's true, you know, teams, teams are more content with playing for a draw because they know it'll help their chances of, of advancing. You only need one string of luck to get through. And I think Poland are a team that can score and can capitalize on those moments. You don't think Senegal can score? I'm just curious. Poland have had to play Musa much more Sao. difficult teams. Yo, Musa Sao. <laughs> Musa Sao. played with Musa Sao in FIFA? I played with him back when he was on Lorient like five years ago. No, dude, his, his prime was Lille. Oh, Lille. Yeah. True. Um... Just a fun fact, Egypt's goalkeeper, Essam El-Hadari, 45 years old. <laughs> My Thank dad you. just turned 46. <laughs> My dad could be the, the starting goalkeeper. Oh, he's the starting, he's keeper, the keeper, starting keeper for oh Egypt. Oh my god, he that's of, a liability. He reminds me of the Hungarian keeper who wore sweatpants. Because <laughs> he got yeah. cold. At the 2016. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. You know, you, okay. put, you put everything on the line. So, Caleb Rhodes, let's yeah. transition a little bit. Yeah. World Cups are always... The time yep. when fresh faces, fresh faces become stars yep. on the global stage. Yep. Who is Ooh. your player to watch at this tournament? So, I always look for left backs <laughs> <laughs> at a World Cup. Last time, it was uh, Marcus Rojo. And the time before that, I remember, I was a little young. Um, Jordi Alba? Jordi Alba, although he broke up more at Euro 2012. He was old at that point. Regardless, Tagliafico for Argentina, Ajax player. I I think he could do well. Also, Nathan mentioned earlier, Fabio Lozano, also okay. very good. I'll take that. Um, I was about to say you're about to. Yeah, those, 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 those are, as your player to watch. Are you kidding me? We're trying to get the, we're trying to get casual fans to listen to this podcast. You're picking the Argentinian left back. Actually, I think he's a right back. No, he's a left no, back. No, he's a left back. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. You wouldn't even know who <laughs> he plays. All I know is that right now, he doesn't have a picture on FIFA, and at the end of this tournament, he will. people will be demanding him to have a picture on he's FIFA. He's like the new Gabriel Mercado. <laughs> exactly. Because we're asking for a new Gabriel Mercado. Exactly. So th- those, are, those are my picks. Nick, okay. Nick who, are you, who are your predictions for breakout player in this tournament that Caleb hasn't already mentioned? One man, three names. Pierre Emmerich. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sergei Milinkovic Savic for, for Serbia. Serbia. Really? I think he could tear it up. He, in has, the he, has, he has three games. He has three it's games true. to tear it up. He does have three games to tear it up. I feel like these breakout stars have to have like four games. Really? Yeah. I mean, we did say Serbia can squeak through. Yeah. I think with uh, this guy is a physical specimen. Yeah. He's a great passer of the ball. Yeah. He dominates the midfield for Lazio. He is Paul Pogba. Like, he really no, 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 no. He's like Matic. Who could had shoot. a love child with Pogba. Yeah. 
Exactly. He's a more well-rounded player yep. than Pogba, I guess. No. But he's young. No, no, he's, he's, more, he's more of a Matic that can just score mm-hmm. goals. And I think I have another player to watch. Yeah. Usmane Dembele. Mm. I think this is his comeback tour. Comeback tour. I think, tour. It's, comeback I think it's, tour. I don't, I think that's like the, the gorillas tour, the now now tour. No, I just, I, I, that's just like a weak pick in my mind because he made a hundred yeah, <laughs> He made a hundred and thirty-six million dollar transfer. I don't think you can call it like a breakout season. Nathan, who are your breakout stars? My breakout stars, obviously, we mentioned it already, but Lucas Torreira for uh, Uruguay. I think he's going to be the engine of their midfield. Um, and he had a breakout season with Sampdoria in Serie A this past year. Do I have another pick? Do you want to talk about breakout fullbacks? Let's talk about Udrit Sola. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, we live in an era in world history steeped <laughs> in injustice. Here we go. And one of the most grievous injustices that I have, if not felt, at least seen from a distance recently has been just the savagery going on <laughs> with the Spanish right-back situation. Get close to the Sergio, mic. Speak directly to Julian Lopetegui. I'm talking to you, the people. Sergio Roberto statistically had one of the best seasons of a right-back, not only in Europe, actually, no, not only of Spanish players, but just in Europe. He was better than Carvajal. Better than Carvajal. For sure. He's better than Odrio Zola. Better than Odrio Zola. For sure. Zola. And what happened... What? Not at the World do? Cup. Not at the World Cup. And he brought Odrian Sola, who's a 22-year-old who plays for Real Sociedad, who's never played a big game in his life. I just don't understand it. And Sergio Berto adds the added ability and flexibility that he can play in midfield. He's or also a winger. clutch scorer. He's a clutch scorer. He completed La Remontada against PSG in the 6-1 comeback for Barcelona. Like, I just don't understand what you need to do other than perform for Barcelona like in big games to get called up to the Spanish national team. Like, it seems like there is no criteria he can meet that would get him into that team. And I think it is a great injustice. Sergi, we pray for you. Nathan Strauss? So, aside from Lucas Torreira, I, we got a bit sidetracked there. Um, I, don't, I don't see anyone aside from the players that Caleb already mentioned as having big breakout tournaments. I think... Who's your random Moroccan player? I yeah. want to know who it is. Oh, Akraf Hakimi, for okay. sure. Um, mm. Speaking of left-backs, actually... Akhraf is a natural. No, no. Akhraf is a right back who played around twenty league games, around twenty total games for Madrid this year, mm-hmm. and he's very solid. He's only seventeen years old, or he might be eighteen now, um, but he plays as a left back for Morocco um, because they like to play that ex Monaco player, um, Nabil Dirar, as a right back, mm. and he plays very very well. Um, and I think that he could certainly be gearing up for one of those you know, two-year loans to a, bun- a Bundesliga side that uh, yeah. Madrid players love to take. Right, Carvajal did that. Carvajal did that. Um, Borja Mayoral did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I think he could definitely break out. And also, I think Hakim Ziyech is right now looking to force a move away from mm. Ajax. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if he has a good tournament, scores a few goals, good shows his quality on the ball against two world-class teams in Portugal and Spain, I think that any top-five team um, from any of the top leagues in Europe yeah. Uh, could be interested in him. He's a very he screams like Napoli to me. Yeah, sure. I think the the thing we're having trouble with right now in terms of picking up breakout players is that so many of like the best young players right now have sort of already found their way to top clubs. It's That's not that they're necessarily like totally known quantities yet. It's just that big clubs have already sniffed them out. Like Marcus Rashford, you know, already exists at Man U. Mbappe is already at PSG. Dembele is already at Barcelona, and so I just don't know who's in that like prime. 18 to 24 range 
that we don't really know about who's in this World Cup. You know, Hamas back then was playing at Monaco. He kind of made, like, the first step in the ladder to superstardom, taking but hadn't made the, the second step. The Portuguese league. Right. But now we're just seeing that teams are willing to, you know, pay for talent earlier and earlier. And so... I mean, I also think that Yuri Tielemans could have a really great tournament mm. playing as that sort of more defensive-minded midfielder, right. which would allow Kevin De Bruyne to play a little right. bit further forward. Yeah. The problem is, I don't have any faith in Roberto Martinez's tactical ability to actually oh, yeah. select him over Axel Witzel or over any of the other center midfielders that they have, Yeah. which I think is going to be problematic for them in the long run. Yeah. Shall we move on to the World Cup as a spectator? In that a big team, in fact, the team that we all would have supported, perhaps, if, mm. if uh, they were at this World Cup, and um, it is the country that we're all going to be watching this World Cup from. Now I'm going to Russia, dude. The United States. All right, good luck, man. <laughs> the, United, the United States of America is not at this World Cup, and we wanted to speak a little bit about what we think the effect of the sort of trickle-down effect of the United States not being at the World Cup is in terms of getting fans mm-hmm. into soccer as a whole. Mm-hmm. I'm actually working on a book now. It's called What Happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the United States of the World Cup. I'm co-writing it with, um, who is that guy? The former U.S. soccer president. Sunil Gulati. Yeah, Sunil Gulati is my like, ghostwriter. It's, like, it's kind of a big deal. Um, so what did happen? And how do we move forward? I think this has been a huge shock to the United States, and I think it's led to some important changes, which has been the complete culling of any mediocre 26-year-old from the MLS. Zussi, gone. gone. Bradley, gone. Yeah. Josie, Altidore, Josie Altidore, gone. gone. And instead, we've seen an amazing influx of, I'll call them like Klinsman point O's. In that Josh Sargent. They're in. not They're not German-Americans Weston in the same McKinney way. In. Yeah, exactly. They're players that were actual Americans that moved to Germany as, like, 18-year-olds. Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Josh Sargent. Timothy Way is different in that he came through the PSG youth system, and he's also the son of... The Liberian president. The Liberian president. Is he George Way's son? Yes. Yeah. Holy shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, we're seeing, finally, like, a crop of real American players, like American born and bred that are starting to make it in Europe. Even Julian Green's back in the mix. Yeah. And, and I, that's yeah. awesome. Whether it will work out, it probably will, but I think this is this these are positive steps um after a dark day. Yeah, and I agree. And I think it's been very encouraging to see the US in this latest batch of friendlies call up these young players because it's as it's as if they're finally beginning to view um, the U.S. national team as more of a club, um, whereas before they were relying on. They these hired people. a general manager. Right, they hired a general manager, and they're looking to build talent for the future. I think there were there's a lot of disillusionment, and I think the the U.S. Soccer Federation as a whole was able to really trick themselves into believing that the old core of Michael Bradley and Graham Zuzi and Jermaine Jones and that whole crop of players could actually make it to a World Cup and do well. But it's evident now that they just lack the ability to compete in the modern game, both in CONCACAF and in these global tournaments. And I think it makes so much sense to focus on this new crop of youth players who grew up when the U.S. was focused on soccer, right? Who grew up in an age when their their entire life the U.S. has been competing in World Cups. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a huge difference. And you now have players leaving MLS Academy systems to go to top clubs in Europe, like Pulisic or Sargent. 
You have players like Andrew Carlton who are starting in MLS sides at the age of seventeen. Mm-hmm. It, they're they're beginning. To, it's beginning to feel a little more Europeanized, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's what the USA needed. And whether they can continue that in the future is yet to be seen. But I would hope so. Yeah. We also have to mention, you know, Italy also <laughs> missed the World Cup. They did. Mancini has taken <coughs> over now, and one of his main moves has been bringing Mario Balotelli back from the outskirts into the limelight again and that's that seemed to work pretty well yeah i think for italy it's a bit more complicated because they're so stuck in their ways in a very italian sort of fashion Mm -hmm. tradition plays a very big part in not only Mm -hmm. football in italy but yeah politics and culture and all that sort of stuff and i think it'll take they're not like the u.s who will blow up right the system in order to progress they're going to try and persist with the system as long as they can so instead of hiring a young manager they hired a mancini right who's fine mancini's fine but mancini isn't going to get you to the next stage yep in terms of international pedigree yeah i think italy are sort of experiencing a similar thing to what happened to spain after their early exit at the euros in 2016 Mm where it's time to start phasing out the older crop of players, the Buffons, the Marchesios, the Chiellinis, and sort of looking to develop uh, a new generation of talents who can sustain them. Obviously, you can build around Verratti, who's a world-class center midfielder. Yep. Rugani. Rugani. Maybe even Andrea Bellotti up top. Mm-hmm. Balotelli's uh, not old. Balotelli's not old. He's, yeah. what, 27 or 28? 26, yeah. 27. Yeah, he's still, he still has plenty of time. For Italy, it's about removing the rusty chains, to put mm. it in a very kind of yes. Italian speak. Um, and I think they're doing that. <laughs> they can't rely on Marchisio. What, Cotanaccio? No, it's, it's true. No. Yeah. Um, they can't rely on Marchisio and right. and they can't, all of those like, and I think guard. They can't rely on Benucci. Benucci. Right? Because these are just he was old bad players. this year. Benucci was probably the biggest disappointment in terms oh. of transfer hype this year, but that's another story. Yeah. So as we're kind of segueing into club... Talk. We have a little bit more time here, so let's run through some club news. Nathan Strauss, talk to me about Unai Emery. So big news this uh, this spring came when Arsene Wenger uh, agreed to step down. Although, really, he was sacked. I mean. He was really forced out by the club. But it was nice. We were able to give him the send-off he deserved. We had already finished. We already we knew we were going like to finish in sixth there. place. Mm-hmm. No, I, we knew we were going to finish in sixth place. We were able to, to, to let him know how we appreciated his 22 years of service. And at, at the end of the day, he, uh, he's leaving English football as, you know, yeah. in my mind, the second most influential manager of all time yeah. behind Alex Ferguson. I agree. I think... With, with him, it's just important to note in terms of his, like, legacy and his stature is in all of the analysis that came out of his decision to finally step down, no one said that he left too soon. I think everybody felt that he had, like, even the people that were more, like, Wenger in, there wasn't much magic left. There wasn't that much innovation um, to go. And so I think he probably one or two years too late. He probably should have stepped down before they got these. After the FA Cup the, in 2015. Yeah. yeah. The, is it the whole one? Um, the second one against Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Villa. I yeah. agree. That would have been better. But, you know, here we are. And now we have Unai Emery. Yeah. yeah. And I think Unai Emery was 
the right appointment in my mind. Um, the other two people on the three-man shortlist were Julian Nagelsmann from Hoffenheim and uh, Mikel Arteta, ex-Arsenal captain and current Man City assistant. And I think that of those three coaches, for Nagelsmann, it would have been a huge step up, and he hasn't really proven himself completely at the top level. Um, although I do think that he has the potential to be one of the world's greatest coaches. For Mikel Arteta, I think it would be a huge risk to offer someone with a legacy at the club the first managerial tenure outside of a club legend. We saw what happened at Manchester United immediately in the wake of Ferguson's departure, and it did not go well. And for someone like Arteta, who has no first-team managerial experience, I think it's a risk that's not worth taking. Unai Emery... Zidane. I mean... He, mm. Zidane was the right man at the right moment. But we'll Zidane, Zidane, no, we'll but Zidane, Zidane also was promoted from within. He was. Zidane managed the Real Madrid Castilla team before yeah. getting... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good yeah. Point. Um, Unai Emery has European experience. He won three consecutive Europa Leagues. He recently managed PSG, which is a club with all the financial might of any team in the world. He has managed one of the world's top players in Neymar. It's so he true. has that experience. Of, he knows... Yeah, he did. But he knows he knows how to manage egos, which yeah. is something that he probably didn't really have to deal with as much at Sevilla. And, and this Arsenal team, this Arsenal team is a very they, we have a talented squad. Like I agree, we, we we I think we need a new keeper. I think we could really use a new center back. Socrates Papastadopoulos is going to be announced tomorrow, um, according to David Ornstein, who's with the BBC and is Arsenal's most reputable um, transfer reporter. So we're going to have a decent team, and we have a very very lethal attack. It's whether it's it's what Emery can do tactically to change things up from the remnants of the Wenger era that will uh, really make or break next season for Arsenal. Uh, in terms of manager shakeups, Zinedine Zidane stepped down a couple days after his third consecutive Champions League victory. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. Um, it's an example of someone wanting to go out at the peak of their powers, which I think is admirable and. Uh, it just it leaves Real Madrid in a really bad spot. Do you think spot. it's admirable? I don't think it's admirable. I do. I do think no, it's No, I think it's cowardly. I disagree. I okay, so Guardiola left Barcelona after four years. Um, and in the, the last year, Barcelona were clearly tired, and he was clearly very tired. Zidane has only been in charge for two and a half years. And although they've been whirlwind years, um, I don't think he's been there long enough to leave yet. Um, I think what's most concerning is that, especially this season in La Liga, Real Madrid were very bad. They were just not good. They finished almost 20 points off the pace of Barcelona this season. Um, and I think he stepped down partially because he didn't have a vision for how to move this team forward. So I agree with Nathan that it was kind of cowardly and that it was Zidane saying, like, I've accomplished a lot. I want to go out on a high. But at the same time, I'm also leaving because I don't see how I can move this team forward which i don't understand why that's not an admirable thing to do to leave that to 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 understand that like you've you've done everything you can well i see it as very self-preservational you look at him and he's one of the greatest madrid players of all time you know he already has one it is no no, but when you think about his reputation right he has one major scar already and that is the infamous head i know but he has he has had the greatest player to player manager transition of all time you can't like yeah, but I would argue similarly to Caleb that he hasn't actually done anything to visibly improve the Real Madrid team from where they were three years ago. That doesn't ago. matter. He if won you look, three no, Champions it, Leagues. He it won doesn't, league. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. He won, what, eight trophies in two and a half years? It does Nine. matter. Nine. No, but there, but there's just like there's a lot of skills involved in being a manager. And clearly, his skills are not 
being very tactical. He's an excellent man manager. He's a he knows how to manage. He knows how to manage a squad really well. Like he benched Gareth Bale in the champ he in the Champions League final, <laughs> and then brought him on, and he was man of the match. And so like, and that was like kind of okay. Like he kept this team together, even though sure. there didn't seem to be enough space in starting eleven. What he's not good at is actual squad construction. And his transfers sort of like, have been really bad. Yeah, or like major sort of like orchestrating the whole organization of Real Madrid in terms of producing a cohesive team. I don't think he's done that. And I think him leaving now indicates that he doesn't have the self-confidence or really doesn't want to put in the effort to do that. Where does he go next? Does he, does he replace Deschamps as the France manager? Yeah. Because he mean, doesn't need to do all of that housekeeping stuff that Caleb was saying, that perhaps he wasn't exactly trained yeah, to do. Yeah. He All he has to do is motivate his players and pick a team that he thinks can win and do, like, minor tactical yeah. work. And also, that France team, when he takes over, is going to be is gonna have some of the most Redunk. impressive yeah. talent in the world. You're going to have all these players that are coming into this tournament as young stars. The, By the time Euro 2018, I mean, 2020 rolls around, they're going to be, like, fully-fledged, yeah. world-class players. And so it'll the, be great, because he'll win a World Cup, and he'll get to claim that, too. And then for the, I mean, he'll finally... Right, perhaps then, have the it'll luck. be redemption. Yeah. It'll be vindication for him um, right. after he'll, he'll win. He'll win against Italy yeah, in the World true, Cup right. final. Yeah. Um, there are rumors... There, so Real Madrid is in a bad state right now, which is ironic, considering that they just had a... Club they're high. not necessarily in a bad state. They're just a little like rudderless. Right, Ronaldo. There's the the Ronaldo rumor mill is beginning to swirl again. The Bale yeah. rumor mill is starting to swirl in a more yeah. realistic sort of fashion. Um, Real Madrid. The biggest rumor in terms of a new manager is Guti, Guti. who they would uh, appoint from the inside. Yeah, it was, sort of it was the the owner of Murcia. Yeah, or what's the they know Real Murcia. Real Murcia, who kind of potentially leaked today that Guti was taking over. Um, I think all of these things could really be papered over with a Neymar transfer right. this summer. Um, I think they still need a striker. Um, Benzema, that was actually the one good thing Zidane did this year in a weird way is for some reason he stuck with his misfiring striker the entire season. It's the French connection. It is the French connection. It's the North African French connection. Yeah, it's true. They're both Algerian. Yeah. They're both of Algerian descent. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, and also interesting news is that Lewandowski is trying to force his way out of Bayern. And Whack. It's, I mean, to Bayern? be fair, if yeah. you, I mean, if you've scored 30, consec- 30 goals in three consecutive years and, and won multiple Bundesligas and you haven't won the Champions League yet. You're going to go to the team that's won the Champions dude, League. Dude, the Bundesliga is starting to look a lot like Ligue 1. It really is, and it's very scary, although I would say that the Bundesliga has considerably more quality from top to bottom. Yeah, but I think in terms problem, of the structure, yeah, there's a huge problem. It's still a, a problem when Lewandowski is the top scorer at 29 goals, and like the second top scorer is Nils Peterson, um, who is a Bayern reject many years ago. Who with like fifteen, like Abemayang was still near the top of the top scores. Third after leaving, yeah, the after season. leaving in January, that's not a good look at all. And especially with Nico Kovac coming in as the new manager for Bayern, I'm not really sure who Lewandowski feels loyalty to. Um, and so keep your eye out on that too. I mean, he's made it clear in his career that he's a mercenary. He's like the Kevin Durant of soccer. I mean, I don't He'll think go. so. He was a re- he got rejected from his first trials back when he was a nineteen year old trying out for Legia, yeah. and then he ended up becoming a legend for them, and then moving up in the ranks. I mean, any player who ditches Dortmund I for agree. Bayern, it's a mercenary. Is, That's he's mercenary. just a simple Polish bratwurst farmer. Right. He's the Kevin. He, I think he's it's a it's a Kevin Durant situation. Um, 
in which that he will go to the team in which he thinks he can collect that trophy that he hasn't collected yet, which is a Champions League. I yeah. do have a fear, though. I have a fear. Liverpool. I have a no. I think. That <laughs> Please. I, I think there's a strong parallel to be made here, and maybe we can segue into the closing portion of our of our soccer podcast by bringing in a little bit of basketball. I think there's a big parallel here to be drawn between Real Madrid. I wanted Madrid. to talk about Nabil Fakir. No. There's a big parallel to be drawn. <laughs> Let me finish my point. Between Real Madrid and the Cleveland Cavaliers, both of whom are built around aging star players um, who have somewhat of a vacuum at the head coach spot. And I think it becomes time when the Cavaliers are going to have to make a choice. Do we commit money to an aging superstar? And do we commit effort to an aging superstar who doesn't necessarily better those around him, similarly to Ronaldo. They will always or, commit money to LeBron, though. And Real Madrid will always commit money to Ronaldo. That's the thing. They're the linchpin, the franchise. Ronaldo has been rumored to leave for three years now, and it's pretty clear that, that through his performance in the Champions League final, yeah. he's, not, he's, not, he's not quite there. He's he not, was bested by a fan. <laughs> right at the end. And also, five minutes after the Champions League final ended, he was like in an interview, he was like, oh, I don't know, maybe don't know. I'm going to stay. Yeah. Um, See, he does like the attention to be on him, though. So that could have just been a but waste. he's 33. Yeah. And how much longer can he really perform at a level I mean, acceptable he is in, for Real Madrid? At the same time, I think Ronaldo is like perfectly metonymous for what Real Madrid is as a whole. Right. In that it like entirely resists the constraints of reality. <laughs> like, like, no, no. His, <laughs> no whole physique, his whole physique is like he's built himself to be this thing. And he talks about how even though he wants to play until the age of 40 because right now he has, quote, the body of a 23-year-old. What, dude? You have the body of a 33-year-old by definition. Like, I'm just saying is like they had a bad La Liga season and yet beyond all odds, they somehow find a way in the Champions League. Like, they get these lucky breaks kind mm-hmm. of. You know, Bayern in the semifinals made a bunch of errors to give up goals and couldn't score themselves. In the final itself, you know, Karius literally gave the ball to Benzema and was like, please, sir, please have a day. And so... There's something about Real Madrid that, like, refuses to accept what other people would accept as just reality. Which is the thing, because they are so, they're so driven by, not even, but Real, but here's the thing with, with Cristiano Ronaldo, is that he is the marketing machine of that team. He's perhaps the marketing machine of the entire soccer world. And I don't think, I think Real Madrid was higher paid this year. It's true. Forbes. I'm talking about And Neymar received. Kit sales. Okay, fair enough. Kit sales. I'm talking about like uh, the face you'd you'd want Ronaldo's face on your billboard more no, than you want. Actually, that would be terrifying no. and very ugly. No, I actually really. Just I don't like want those Ronaldo size Ronaldo ones where he's just wearing his own underwear, his own brand. You know that a Ronaldo? I went to Portugal last year. Yeah. I think I told you guys this. A Ronaldo two pack of underwear costs thirty euros. Good. That man is trying to charge me fifteen euros per pair of underwear. Dude, they're quality. They're Ronaldo's underwear. He they give you the body of his underwear. You're trying to tell me you're wearing Ronaldo underwear? Yeah. If this wasn't a podcast, I'd show you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Cavs will always put their money behind LeBron, and Real Madrid will always put their money behind Ronaldo because they are, if nothing else, consistent marketing machines that will always bring back revenue for the club. Cristiano Ronaldo, as much as you won't like to hear it, he's going to win another Ballon d'Or this year. He's of not the Champions League another, victory. No, he's not, he is. No, he's he not. He absolutely is. Are you kidding <laughs> he absolutely, me? I firmly, he absolutely I firmly is. disagree with Who's that. Who's going to win it? Harry Kane. Salah. 
You think Salah's going to win the Ballon d'Or? Salah no, didn't it, win anything. Depends on his first he didn't half. Win it doesn't anything. matter if he scores forty goals again. If he scores twenty goals in the first half of the season, mm. and he has a he would he would have scored sixty goals and no, assisted dude, twenty dude, goals. Do we have to wait for the World Cup? We do have to wait That's for the World true. Cup because I mean. Messi could but win if Ronaldo does another Ronaldo thing where he somehow wills Portugal to get farther in this World Cup than they they're deserve to get, go- they're not going to. You can't say that. You haven't watched the game yet of the World Cup. I you have watched know. two consecutive Portugal. You don't know. Zone. You don't know. Two consecutive. Were, you, were you going to say that Portugal were going to make it to the finals of Euro twenty sixteen? No, I exactly. definitely wouldn't have said that they were going to win on a hundred and sixteen exactly. minute goal from Eder. And who is who is on the sideline coaching his team, pulling LeBron in that okay. game? Yeah. Who's Ronaldo? It was Ronaldo. His greatest ever international achievement was overshadowed by a literal moth. It was. Ch- it's true. He got to lift a trophy though with Portugal, and he claimed it as his own. All I'm Although, saying, to be fair, he did. He carried that team through the group. All I'm saying is Ronaldo is a consistent barometer of success in the game of soccer. I don't think age deserved or not. It deserved or not. I don't think age is a factor even when it comes to Ronaldo, and I think Real Madrid will always, always, always bank. On CR7. Well, lots can change. The summer is it's only true. just starting. But the World Cup is coming up in a week. Transfers are flying in all over the place. We will catch you soon. We'll probably do another podcast yep. when the World Cup is in yep. full flow. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Etsy, Google+. What am I missing? Redbubble? Redbubble. Our Ooh. actual store. Our actual store, yeah, Amazon, yeah. Um, Whole Foods, Alibaba. Whole Foods. Uh, what else? You can find our knockoffs at DHK. Instacart, from uh, GameStop, GameStop, EB HQ. Games. We actually are majority holders of Radio Shack. Um, <laughs> Have you ever? When's the last time you saw Radio Shack? Blockbuster. No, that's why we're majority owners. <laughs> um, Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? We'll end on this. Brazil. Nick, I want to hear your opinion first. Brazil. You guys are just cowards. I'm going Germany. It's like they say. How is it cowardly? Football, how is, it cowardly? football is a simple game. 22 Dude, men how are the you ball calling, around the field how are for you, 90 minutes. How are and at you, the end, how, the Germans win. I just want to say, how are you calling us cowardly for picking Brazil when you're picking a t- the winners picking, of the last tournament? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. It's really it's not cowardly. Yeah. It's not cowardly. I, I recant that statement. Regardless, thank you for listening. This has been Corner Kick. Sergio Ramos, I'm coming for you.